guys. Welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. And we're so glad you joined in to listen today. Be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcast. We release new episodes every Monday and would love to have you listen to future episodes. We are on most podcast platforms to search Allergic to Grace to find us. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about Exodus chapters 24 through 26. But to pick up where we left off last week, let's quickly recap what we saw in 21 through 23. God gives Moses and the Israelite people laws for society outside of the Ten Commandments. As we learned last week, this was not an inclusive list, but included laws about slaves, laws about restitution, laws about the Sabbath and festivals. In chapter 23, God promised the conquest of Canaan. He promised to send an angel before the people to guard them on their way to bring them to a place he had prepared for them. He cautions the people of Israel to pay close attention to the angel and to listen to him and not to rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And without further ado, let's get into twenty-four. Yeah. So before we start, um, if you hear an echo or if it sounds like we're talking in a bathroom, we're not. Um, I recently moved and there's nothing on the walls, so it's a little, it's a little bare. Echo, echo, echo. right? <laughs> we're not recording in a bathroom right now. <laughs> but anyway, cue toilet flushing sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> I just while you were reading that, I was sitting here thinking about, you know, what we were just talking about with that Netflix series. And can you imagine reading the Old Testament and not believing Christ has come yet? I just am so glad that we live on this side of the cross because but like even some uh, people don't, according to them, you know? Yeah, I, I. I can't imagine a life for myself or my family or my friends where we don't believe in and don't have Christ. Like, how sad. Yeah. But two, at the same time, we've seen so many parallels in just the first two chapters of this Bible that was pointing to Christ. That was Christ. Yes. Directly to him. And and to to think that that person hasn't come yet or that isn't actually who that was, you know, it's just kind of sad, like you Mm -hmm. said. Anyway. At the end of chapter 23, God has just given Moses a lot of rules and guidelines to live by. Um, He then tells him to go down and get his brother Aaron and Aaron's sons, along with 70 of the elders of Egypt. Israel. Did I say Egypt? I wrote Egypt. What in the world, Victoria? It's the move. (laughs) It's the move. Everything is just out of whack. Israel. Okay. Name filler. It's fine. So <laughs> this is fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. Because everything catches fire. <laughs> so then I'm going to start reading in 24. Yep. So then he says to Moses, come up to the Lord, you Aaron, his sons and yeah. 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. I feel like. The beginning of chapter 24 not only leads us into, you know, chapter 25, which is the building and the instructions for the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. but chapter 24, the beginning of it kind of separates out how things are going to be with the tabernacle. You have the rest of the people who don't come up. They're not allowed in the holy place. They're not allowed in the tabernacle. Yeah. You have the elders who are allowed in the tabernacle in the holy place, but then you have only one person that's allowed in the most holy place. So it's setting out those distinctions amongst the people exactly already before we even have any instructions for that place so moses came down the mountain and told the people all the words of the lord and all the rules and the people answered with one voice and said all the words the lord has spoken we will do they're pretty quick to agree aren't they yeah (laughs) i um i guess something i like i subconsciously i guess was in my mind but i never like particularly thought about is is that when and I like the word that they used in that series that I've been watching slash listening to by Dr. Peterson. Mm-hmm. He, they talk about like the, the people agreeing to the covenant and everything. And they consented yeah. to be part of the covenant. But that not only includes the blessing, it also comes with the curses as well. Makes so you sense. agree to the reprimandations. The yeah. Mm-hmm. The punishments for if you don't follow the rules that God has laid out for you. Yeah. So... I mean, I feel like they were they were quick to just agree, Um, you know, like like that would be enough. 
you know and we'll see further that it actually wasn't enough yeah they have to do all these different other things yeah that they could just get the benefits if they said yeah well yeah it'll be fine we'll We'll do do it it. that's That's fine fine. yeah like we'll do it (laughs) that's fine everything is fine right from enduring word it says israel here was perhaps guilty of tremendous overconfidence the way they seemed to easily say to god we will keep your law seemed to lack appreciation for how complete and deeply comprehensive god's law is however a nation that had been terrified by God's awesome presence at Sinai was in no state of mind to do anything but agree with God. Yep. So I see both sides of the coin. Yeah. They're like, yeah, they have a lot of overconfidence to be like, yes, we'll do that. A hundred percent. We'll be completely faithful. We'll never break your law. And then on the other side, they're like, well, were you going to say no? <laughs> right. Right. After you saw what you just witnessed. Like seriously. <laughs> first the plagues. And then, then he comes down and you can hear him talking. Like, <laughs> I just want to say on that. <laughs> I know we talked about this briefly a little while ago, but the whole like the Israelites saying to God, we don't want to talk. No, he's not. Don't talk to, talk to us. Yes. So <laughs> you can't sit with us. my husband and I were standing on our porch last night <laughs> in the midst of this severe, severe thunderstorm. Right. That's what the weather channel called it and we're like listening to the hail fall and the rainfall and we're seeing lightning you hold know? on wait can we pause for a second and go back a couple episodes when you were like who could have thought a thunderstorm would be holy uh, listen okay so continue. we're you know having a conversation i don't even remember what we were talking about we were just talking and like mm-hmm. watching and listening to the storm you know and all of a sudden out of nowhere this <laughs> giant like loud crack of thunder and like this you can see like this bolt of lightning in the sky and i immediately turn around and run for the door and i'm scared <laughs> and the door won't unlock and it's the whole thing and there's it's on the ring video it's we should post the ring video <laughs> instagram <laughs> but i can completely see, healthy fear <laughs> yeah right? I, if that's what it was like i but p- please don't talk to me either <laughs> because i was scared i can imagine that's hilarious yes, but yes great <laughs> great example i mean <laughs> yes okay <laughs> right i'll do whatever you want just don't smite me just let me in <laughs> <sighs> anyway oh gosh i'm wearing makeup don't rub your face don't do that okay <laughs> in the next verse in verse four it says and moses wrote down all the words of the lord he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of israel and he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Wow. That's a lot. That was a lot. So he, they, he came down, he said the things, he spoke God's words to the yes, people. Yes, verbatim. Verbatim. And they said, okay, yes, we'll do that. So then he went and he wrote them down in the book of the covenant. Yeah. Which two things. Number one, I read somewhere. I can't remember if it was under the commentary in my Bible or if I used um, for a lot of my research this time around, biblenotes.org.uk. Um, so I can't remember if I found this on there or if it was in the um, study portion of my Bible, but it says that likely when Moses was writing this all down, God was dictating and he was writing it down as God was dictating so that mm-hmm. we know and the people knew it was was the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, I was like, what is this? All of a sudden they're talking about the the book of the covenant. Yeah. Chapters 20 through 23 or what are considered the book of the covenant but that makes sense so it was basically and the 10 commandments and like the 47 46 laws that followed yeah so it was like the 10 commandments were on the last episode yeah like the last episode is a book of the covenant yes exactly <laughs> so as dry as it was yeah i mean it was kind of interesting though it was and how it's just crazy to see the parallels and how God knew the situations that us as people were going to be in mm-hmm. in the future. Yep. And so he knew we were going to need guidelines for how to proceed and how to go through those things yeah. that we even still to this day, we need laws for restitution. Like, mm-hmm. yep. You know, it's again so. him, you know, conforming to our humanity. Exactly. And knowing that his creation cannot get along. No, 
the, my Bible says about the Book of the Covenant, it says most likely refers to both the Ten Commandments and the commandments and rules that follow. So, yeah. 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 I th- Yes. Perfect. That's probably where I got that from. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and I think, can I just say this, like, about sure. the portion that you just read? I mean, maybe, am I jumping the gun here yeah. about the whole Moses and the blood thing? No, I have, I have questions. I... <laughs> This is going to sound so ridiculous as me. Exactly. As an adult, I'm like picturing this like, whoosh, like basins and like buckets of blood being thrown on people. Mm-hmm. I was I had like to do a, a lo- spray bottle. <laughs> like I don't splash zone like <laughs> and the research that I found mm-hmm. and maybe you found similar things or different things, but it was not like that. No. It was not like this blood ritual thing. No, and I I got hung up on the offerings um, because it mentioned two separate ones. So there's the peace offering and then the burnt offering. Yeah. So I got hung up on that. So I did a little research and it says the first was the burnt offering, a voluntary act of worship to express devotion or commitment to God. It was also used in atonement for unintentional sin. And the peace offering, which consisted of any unblemished animal from the worshiper's herd and or various grains or breads. This was a sacrifice of Thanksgiving and fellowship followed by a shared meal. I think that came from God questions. So like the burnt offering is for an atonement of sin. Okay. For unintentional sin. Yes. Um, And express devotion. Like that's why abraham went and did so many burnt yes, offerings when thank he you erected for being like so altars good and, and things like that okay and then the peace offering is always followed by a meal with god or with the presence of god and like yeah. with people that makes sense um you know what else i thought of something well, i didn't think of something i heard i can't remember i watched a few things from rc sproul over the last week or so and one at one point he was talking about and this goes back to abraham 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 okay. Father Abraham, Abraham Health. No. That makes sense. <laughs> um, I sent you a reel about that today. Oh goodness. But it's oh, hilarious. Boy. You should go look at it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. So I don't remember what I was talking about. Oh Abraham. Abraham and like the whole half like cutting animals in half and things. Securing the covenant with God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His the, promises that yeah, God and, promised on himself, basically. Yeah. And how he was talking about the significance of the animals, because you remember a while back in Genesis when Abraham cut the animals in half. Mm-hmm. Left the, the birds whole, cut the yes, animals in half. In half and, then, and then the, the pot with the, the fire, fire then went in between mm-hmm. each one. But it's to symbolize the fact that nothing can be whole without God. Mm-hmm. there's symbolism and everything i just was something a realization that i came to interesting um 24 i have a note here 24 9 through 1 um this says half of the blood being sprinkled on the altar and half of it being sprinkled on the people showed that both god and they were mutually bonded by this covenant yeah same thing with like this the the thing of circumcision like you had to shed blood in order to be Yes. Bound to the covenant of circumcision. For some reason, I don't know. I just felt really like, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like really moved Mm -hmm. by the whole sprinkling of the blood on the altar and then the sprinkling of the blood on the people, not literally throwing bowls or buckets of blood, but the, what it symbolized. And so this is something that I found that, like you said, you know, the blood equals the cleansing and atonement. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we why there was blood on the altar and blood on the people, which I guess it took me a little bit, like, why are we putting it both places? Yeah. Is this because the blood on the altar and then also the blood on the people linked God and the peoples? Mm-hmm. Because then the only way you could come to God was through the sacrifice for your atonement for sin and so the fact that there's the same blood going on the altar that's going on you Mm -hmm. you know i don't know so flash forward to the new covenant exactly um it says i think this is from enduring word our dealing with god through the new covenant follows the same covenant pattern words of god is is read sacrifice must be made receiving of god's words and receiving of the blood sacrifice yeah so Words of God read, as in you read the Bible, sacrifice must be made. Christ made that sacrifice for us. Receiving God's words as the book of your life, basically how you should live. 
receiving of that and then receiving the blood of the sacrifice, which is accepting Christ into your life. Yeah. Same thing. He was. Yeah, exactly. And our pastor said something at one of our link classes that was really good. And it kind of resonated with me about all of this. It said that before Jesus, the only way to God was through a sacrifice, the blood of a Mm -hmm. sacrifice. Um, And that only came one day a year on the day of atonement. Right. He said, if this in one hand was you and this was God up, up above, you know, your other hand, there was a book in the way, basically. So you could not get to God yeah. except through the sacrifice of blood. What Jesus did was he came in and he took that book away and he gave his life for your sins. So you no longer have to have the blood atonement on the day of atonement, all of that stuff. Yeah. You just have to accept him yes. and accept that his work is finished and he accepted, you know, the punishment for your sin yep. so that you can come to God without any hindrance. Exactly. Same situation. Exactly. So the blood on the altar, the blood that was sprinkled on the people in the new covenant is the blood of Christ. It didn't change. Exactly. It's just who it came from. Exactly. Anyway, Moses and Aaron and his sons and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the heavy heaven. No, like the very heaven for clearness. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And he did not lay his hand on the chief of men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So this kind of goes back a couple episodes ago when we were in chapter 18, talking about Jethro's advice and like when Jethro actually came and yeah, did all these things. Mm-hmm. So there's a reference in my that was made in my Bible talking about the men of Israel, the elders going up and communing with god Mm -hmm. basically they're in his presence eating yeah um it's chapter 18 verse 12 and it says this is mind you this is when jethro is just given his advice to moses and everything it says and jethro moses's father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to god and aaron came with all the elders of israel to eat bread with moses's father-in-law before god that makes sense. So I think this, he went up with them. Yeah, he was one of the elders. He was one of the elders. Or one of the people that went with them. Happened. It makes a lot of sense. So like, it's not necessarily in chronological order. A, it happened. He did give him that advice. Yes. It's just kind of, it's not so much like Genesis as in those like, this happened, this then happened, this happened then, then this happened. happened. It's and a lot. It's not like A, B, C, D, B, C, D yeah. E. Now we're going like A, B, 1, 2, C, D, E, you know. E, whatever. So, yep. yeah. So, I just think that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that helps to provide some context and to some biblical support to the fact that those things happened Mm -hmm. at that time. It's probably that it all happened at once and it's just too much to put in like a chronological order. Right. You can't just stick it all in there with all the laws. You had to put it in the order that was going to make sense Mm -hmm. to whoever was reading it. Yeah. Anyway. So. So they went up and they saw the God of Israel. Yeah. And his throne yeah basically yeah and the the pavement like sapphires i read somewhere that it said that it was a reference to revelation when there's like the sea of glass in front of the throne of god yeah so i was like okay well if they saw god then why why aren't they dead well why why are why is that the only description we're getting why isn't he so i found this i have some i have a theory about that do you about why we we don't get a description of god and like what he looks like Mm -hmm. in his face basically Mm -hmm. and all that stuff and i honestly think that it's because they could not look up from his feet like they could not they were in rev that's yes they said that is you know one of i guess two theories or a couple different theories so from bible letter dot blueletterbible.org excuse me it says this kind of i was like this just makes so much sense Mm -hmm. nothing is described but that which was under his feet for our conceptions of god are below him and fall infinitely short of being adequate so how could a human ever properly describe what i have chills what god looks like wow that's awesome. Like I never thought of that before until I read that. That's I was a like, thousand oh percent true though. I was like, isn't that the truth? And that's why, you know, we have a general idea because of Jesus and the fact that God tells us, you know, man was created in his own image. But like to know exactly and I don't I think have a thing you can about that. understand. Yeah, I have a thing about 
how man was created in God's image. And it comes from a video I saw a while ago. And it was a really good descriptor of what that means. Like we were made in his image. It doesn't necessarily mean that we were made to look like him. And the video talked about how if we are made in God's image and God's image was a hand, for example, we are the glove. We are a glove. And yes. without God being mm-hmm. in us, I, I think we cannot, I've seen it. Yeah, we cannot be or like I've our heard, full, full potential yes, or whatever. Or I've heard the parallels. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. I'm like, okay, so like if they saw God, why are they only telling us about what, what the ground looked like? But I think it's a combination of those two things. I think so too. Because think about too, in the New Testament, whenever... I would hate to be that person that was like tasked with describing what god looked like because you would always fall short you, yeah i you mean couldn't are, do it you know how like Be when you service exactly you know how like when you care about someone so much or like mm-hmm. when you're there and you say there are just no words yeah i think like this is the case of that there are just literally no human words yeah that can properly describe because kind of it's like flesh exactly kind of like how when as a Mm-hmm. goes to catch the ark of the covenant and he because he thinks yeah. his hands are cleaner than the dirt yeah. how could anything that us as creatures from the dirt who are covered in sin and mm-hmm. ever properly properly or accurately describe right you know you i just can't. thought that was that's so, so good interesting that's it's so, it was good. so good you know yeah so that's good and it's also probably why he's not described in revelation either yeah oh what i was gonna say is about the whole you know seeing god and like putting your head down because you can't look at look at him you know because you're in such reverence and in such awe and Mm -hmm. you know whenever um jesus goes up on the mountain with peter james and john the three mm -hmm, the history has this the spear comes down on him and like it's him moses and elijah i do believe and the three of them peter james and john just immediately their heads hit the ground Mm -hmm. because they can't look at him Mm-hmm. so and it wasn't even it wasn't even god it was no it was jesus in his true form is what it was oh, okay, i believe yeah, yeah. It's, it was they saw jesus for in his true form or who he truly was and they couldn't look at him they just immediately face at the dirt which is appropriate i think that that just goes to i mean new that's probably what's Testament gonna happen when we die oh my gosh i mean you think about like jesus you know he's gonna come on the clouds mm-hmm. we're not gonna be able to look like we wouldn't be down, here had to down. look at that yeah this is true very true we would be up gone there, gone by get right or get left <laughs> uh, there's a bumper oh sticker my goodness, i saw that, that. Is so funny <laughs> it just clicked <laughs> okay anyway <laughs> that is funny So they went up and they ate in the presence of God and they only described his feet or what was under his feet because. Oh, wait, you said something about it. And I also was wondering this. I just didn't get dug down into that rabbit hole because I got dug down into the rabbit hole of the sapphire. Why didn't they die? Because they probably didn't look at him. That's true. They were in his presence. They couldn't. Yes, it doesn't say. That's true. I do remember reading that. Like, and and when Moses, like later on in Exodus, we're going to get to it. But like when he comes down and his face is shining, like he didn't look at him either. He just said, show me your glory. Show me more of your glory. That's true. And then the people can't even look at Moses after that, which we'll get to. Like Moses didn't see God, but he was in his presence. He's in his Shekinah. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway. So the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there and I may give you the table, the tablets, the tablets, <laughs> give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rode with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So Moses goes up to the mountain with Joshua, his quote unquote assistant, and he waits there for further instruction. So we have the people of Israel at the very bottom of the mountain. Mm-hmm. We have the elders and the rest of the yahoos yeah. in the middle. And then we have Joshua and Moses climbing to the top, yes. waiting for God's further, for instruction. God's further instruction. Yeah, And they mention that Aaron and her are with them as in 
Aaron and her are with the people and are also with the people, the elders. So it's like Moses had some faith and had some confidence in the fact that they would lead the people. Exactly. Right. Yes. Which, you know, we'll get there. Anyway. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> like it's how much ate it. Right. Okay. Moses and Joshua waited for six days for God to call Moses up onto the mountaintop to meet with him. I think I'm skipping ahead. A little bit. Yep. Okay. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of God dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Can I just say something before you get into your notes, just yeah. about the, the the cloud coming over the mountain and like what it looked like, and since sure. we were talking about the storm the other night i was doing some additional research last night and lincoln was you know looking over my shoulder because we were going to bed Mm -hmm. and i was watching just like a i had this it was a thumbnail of a video about um the tabernacle Uh and it showed just like this i mean i don't know it was a cloud it was like smoke and lincoln thought because of the way that it looked and this just goes to you know the israelites being scared and like how you know is he thought it was a storm and he wanted to watch the video about the tornado and the storm (laughs) (laughs) i just thought that was funny that's cute anyway um no joshua accompanied moses for a distance and they waited there for six days Mm -hmm. and enduring word says it was a solemn reminder of god's unapproachableness he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, which is almost six weeks. It's insane. Yeah, month and a half. So think about it from the people of Israel's perspective, right? Now, God came down on Mount Sinai in fire. It said a, what What did it, What was the word? Consuming fire? A consuming fire. So unlike the burning bush, which was a non-consuming fire, God came down on Mount Sinai in fire. And like to this day, Mount Sinai is black. Yes, you can see it. It's literally, yeah. It's burnt. Like it's burnt. So it was a giant fireball basically sitting on top of Mount Sinai. And the people of Israel saw Moses just meandering up there into yeah. it. Going towards And then it he disappears for six weeks. So like, what are they to expect? Oh yeah, he's dead. He gone. Exactly. Moses isn't coming They're back. probably thinking, oh, well, he's an idiot and he died. We have no more link to God and we can do whatever we want. Exactly. So like, you know, there was so much danger in approaching God from the outside looking in. Like you get the smoke, the devouring fire is what it said in the in the scripture. But yet Moses approached it anyway because God was going to protect him. It's also, it kind of parallels back to like your real life. Like you feel like, you know, you shouldn't be doing something, but you feel called to do it. It's in like, you know, you need to take that step of faith. You need to take yeah. that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And you f- you see danger ahead. You mm-hmm. see all the routes that like, it could take. You can see the consuming no. fire. Yeah. But you need to But go. you feel called to go. Yeah. And so you go knowing that God will take care of you. I mean, will there be trials? Yeah. But ultimately, easier said than you're going to come down the mountain. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is easier said than done. <laughs> A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. from Israel's perspective, Moses is dead. Yes. So they decide to do stupid things. Anyway, that was the end of 24. Did you have anything else? Um, No. Oh, wait. I had something about... I was going to say, I thought you said... I had something about... um From Enduring Word, it says about God's presence on the mountain says perhaps this looked like a glowing radiant embers of a hot fire. The glorious presence of God on Sinai lingered for 40 days. Moses was on the Mount though. The people could not see God and could not see Moses. God left them reminders of his glory and presence to help them trust what they could not see. It said the Hebrew word, the Hebrew verb is dwelt is used in a technical sense later of God's Shekinah, the outward manifestation of his presence to man. Says when the glory of God settled on the mountain, the same word "sekan," which is used as the Shekinah glory in John one fourteen, the word "tabernacling" among yes, us. Yes, I read that. The ancient Greek word for "dwell" in John one fourteen yes. sounds very much yes. like the Hebrew "shekane." Yes, which is Shekinah. Yes, I do remember reading that mm-hmm. once you read that last little bit. Yes, tabernacling, tabernacling mm-hmm. among us. Mm-hmm. Same I words. Like it's the same words. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay, that was it. That's all I had. 25. On to 25. On to 25. 
So 25, chapter 25 to the end of Exodus is the instructions on building the items and the, um, yes, building the items and the places deemed by God and, and the acts of building them. So God is giving Moses instruction. Moses comes down, gives the people instruction. There is some stuff in there, but for the most part, it is the building. It is the instructions given the building and the erecting of the tabernacle and the items that are in it. Yes. And all that encompasses Mm -hmm. what the tabernacle is. Yes. So starting in 25, it says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive a contribution for me. And this is a contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goat skins. How would you say that? I don't know. As- a- Akai? As- As- I don't know. Let's look at that a-C-A-C-I-A. Acadia? Acacia? Wait, spell it again. A-C-A-C-I-A. Acacia. Acacia. Okay. Acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the atoning oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So, 25 starts out with God telling Moses that he needs to get materials to build the tabernacle from the people. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't say, go plunder their houses. Go take. No, he doesn't say that. He says, take a contribution, as in... The people willingly have to give exactly what they have. Yes, in it order has to, to build. be from the heart. Yes. Um, Something I thought was interesting here is is that, and you probably have this, but but the things that the people are giving, these gifts that they're giving, are likely the treasures that they got from the yeah, Egyptians. From the yeah. Egyptians, which is kind of <laughs> ironic. Yep. So. 25.9, Enduring Word says, the word tabernacle appears for the first time here of its 139 Old Testament occurrences. It's from the word to dwell, and is, is the place where God dwells among his people. So if you didn't know already, the tabernacle is where God comes down and talks to the Most High Priest. And um, basically on the Day of Atonement, we are atoned for our sins. Well, they are atoned for their sins. And that's where God gives the most high priest. Is it most high priest? Am I saying that right? Yeah, I'm not exactly clear just yet on who who is what. But yeah. Anyway, um, God, it's it's God's place to come down in the most holy place to talk to the people of Israel. But it's only one person that can go back there, basically. Yes. Um. So all of the things, which is kind of, uh, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, which is kind of important about the whole like separation out and what and what mm-hmm. because of the veil mm-hmm. that's torn whenever mm-hmm. Jesus is sacrificed. Oh yeah. Yep. So the items that are going in the tabernacle that we're going to talk about in 25 is the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. the table for the bread mm-hmm. and the golden lampstand. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you said earlier, giving from a willing heart and even that, that applies now to tithing. Exactly. Like you have to give out of a willful heart. Like God doesn't want things that you're just like, well, okay, I, have, well, I to. have to do this. So exactly. He wants you to want to do it. And exactly. the thing of it is, is if you do it, he will take, God will provide. He will. This is not, I'm not getting on a soapbook about tithing or a soapbox. Yeah. You totally are, but it's okay. No, I'm not. But I just mean. Tithe people. Yeah. There's more benefits than what you realize. Yes. Um, so from Enduring Word, I found some stuff about like the blue, purple, scarlet, the fine linen, yeah. the goat hair, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. And like how much the present day value of the tabernacle was. Oh, yeah. Okay. So go. it says in the proportion of the finished tabernacle, the present day value of these materials total more t- than 13 million. Their combined weight would be almost 19,000 pounds. So carrying this, y'all. That's what that was one of my questions. They were carrying this because they it's a tent. Yes, everything of it because they were like sojourners yeah. or nomadic peoples. Yeah. yeah, like they packed this up and. When I was it. reading the chapters for this episode, I was like, "How are they transporting this Putting it right in the now? Truck? Put what it in the truck? bed of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> like they're carrying it. They are carrying it. I mean, they had herds, so they whatever. 
anyway no but they couldn't Mm -hmm. i think well i'm not sure we might i'm sure get to details about it but you couldn't oh yeah let's just let an animal carry not the whole thing it comes apart yeah I mean, I'm sure it would take days to build it. Anyway, Anyhow. so the blue, the dye for this color was extracted from a shellfish, seemingly in several different hues. The purple, we're talking about like the dyes for the cloth. The dye for this color came from the murex snail. snail. It was a purple red color. Murex. Makes me think of mucinex for some reason. <laughs> Scarlet, the dye for this color came from the dried and powdered eggs and bodies of a particular worm which attached itself to the holly plant fine linen this term translates to an egyptian word the egyptians knew and undoubtedly taught the jews how to make fine linen Uh egypt expelled no egypt excelled in the production of linen especially twine linen where they where every thread was twisted from many strands goat hair says coverings made from this material were typically black and coarse similar to our modern felt Ram skins. This customarily had the wool removed and it was like fine leather. Badger skins. This is difficult to translate. May also refer to the skins of porpoises or manatees. And how did you say it? Acadia? Acacia. Acacia wood. This wood is harder and darker than oak and is also very durable because wood eating insects avoid it. So I have a whole thing about acacia wood. I did some research on it. It's very strong. And durable, like the strength of it is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's used to make floors and like furniture. Um, it's the strongest of most woods. It's used. Oh, and when it's pressed, it releases oil or like it can be used for medicinal purposes, too. It can also make perfumes and skincare products, producing a honey-like smell. That was interesting. Oh. It's a very common wood and can be grown in many different climates. Did you know that? It's plentiful in Egypt. And in the Arabia Desert. And it was plentiful in the desert. It's also very pretty. It is. I was just reading here. This is from BibleNotes.org. Um, it grew widely in the desert. It pictures Christ, the root out of dry ground. Then it says, the Hebrew word is similar to pierce or scourge. Bro. <laughs> of course. But it says, acacia wood is said to be difficult to build with, having knots and twists. It's difficult to build with? Mm-hmm. Interesting. In the same way, natural man is a root out of dry ground and useless without the grace of God in Christ. Okay. (laughs) Very true. Um, It is true. Verse nine, exactly how, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. This makes me think that Moses was having a vision on top of the mountain and God was showing him exactly how to build the tabernacle, how to build the Ark of the Covenant, how to yes. build like all of these things, right? I mean, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He's got to make some notes. But two, I also had a thought. It was like, okay, was it a vision or was he seeing into the throne room of heaven? Yeah, because the tabernacle was a lot of... It was like the similarities and parallels to what John saw in Revelation. Exactly. I feel like it was like the, the earth-sized model... Yeah. Of the throne room of God. Yeah. I have, I mean, I have the exact same thing that God, it didn't say God wrote down or God told Moses to write down. It said God showed. Yeah. Shown him. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he definitely saw something and I don't know if it, I couldn't find anything on it really. I I don't, cause there's no biblical evidence of it. I don't know if it was like a vision like John was having in yeah. Revelation or was it him actually looking into the throne room of heaven and God just speaking to him and telling him what everything was yeah. and what it looked like. Yeah. Because we already know that you can see the footstool of God. Yeah. So I don't know. It's re- That's a really interesting point. I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't oh. matter. No, but, but it's just but curiosity. How cool would that I never be? Thought, right? It's <laughs> very curious. Anyway, so going into the first piece of furniture is the Ark of the Covenant. Um, let me read it. Let and me just say, I went through this phase where I was obsessed with the Ark of the Covenant. Really? Yes. You don't remember I did all that research on it and like, oh yeah, what happened to it and like, nobody knows. But do it. Yeah. I mean, I have theories. I, I mean, know. it's coming we back with Jesus. Which one it is, so, so. <sighs> the Ark of the Covenant. They shall make an ark of acacia. Acacia wood. <laughs> I sound like the YouTube video. Right. Acacia. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and the cubit and a cubit and a half its height. 
you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside you shall overlay it and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. By the way, this is very difficult scripture to read. I apologize. Yeah. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark in the test and the test. No. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. So the ark of the covenant is a box. Mm -hmm. It's a giant box. It's gold. It's made of wood, but it's overlaid with gold. Everything is gold. A can you imagine how heavy it is? B, when they plundered the t- the Jerusalem temple, the people who... It, I wonder if there's like any remnants of the actual tabernacle now. Uh, listen, how cool would that I be? I fell for months, was in rabbit holes about the tabernacle. Like, the, and the like even like the, the little rings and stuff, and like all that mess. So a whole rabbit it's hole. It's a box. A whole it's a, rabbit hole. We're talking about the box and like the poles that are used to carry the box because the yes. box cannot be touched. Yes. So picture because without looking up a picture of, or having a general sense of what the Ark of the Covenant looks like by somebody's rendition. I'm like, what are they talking about? Rings and poles and yeah. what? So basically, if you think of where do you think they got this idea back in the day? When people would put kings on a throne and carry them by those long sticks, that's that's exactly what this was, except the king was the ultimate king. And it was the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. And not a... Well, it was a throne. It's exactly... I said, that's why I Some mean, like, seat. where do you think... It. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, like, where do you think they got that idea from? Yes. God. Um, it was God. Okay, now going into the mercy seat. So the mercy seat is the lid of the box. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them on two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the end and one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat. So shall you should make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces to one another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give to you in commandment for the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. So the lid of the box is pure gold. There's no wood. It's straight gold. Yeah. And the cherubim that sit on top of it are pure gold. They're all hammered out of the same piece mm-hmm. of gold. Mm-hmm. A, how heavy is that? B, how did they know what cherubim look like? I have a thing. Like, I don't have a thing. I mean, obviously but, Moses had a vision. Yes. And so like he could describe, but, but... Like in some of the research that I did... It wasn't just Moses that had an idea of what cherubim looked like. So at some point, somebody, cherubim must have come to the earth for something. It did. And they saw them. It did. So, I mean, I think it was just like one of those things that people knew because it goes back to Adam and Eve. Yes. There was cherubim guarded the, the garden. And cherubim are not those big fat babies with wings. No, these have like the bodies of... That's what I mean. It's like, I think when people think cherubim, that's what they think of. No, cherubim are scary. Like Valentine babies? Yeah. No, that's not what... They're like bodies of lions and like... Right? Yeah. Hold on. Um... Oh, cherubim are the traditional guardians of holy places. Archaeological finds from non-Israelite societies suggest that sometimes they look like winged bulls or lions with human heads. So they were massive, intimidating, and if you think about aggressive it, creatures. Well, cherubims are also aggressive. the angels that guard God's throne. Like they are the ones that are singing, "Holy, holy, holy is mm-hmm. Lord God Almighty." Like mm-hmm. they are the ones that have the wings, the wings, and, and the, like, they're and they're guarding God. You know, like <laughs> yeah. they're not going to be these precious creatures. Like if you think about Revelation and all of the creatures that John saw in Revelation. I can guarantee you one of those was probably a cherubim. Yeah. Like, look at this picture. That's terrifying. Like, no, thank you. That's terrifying. <laughs> thank you. 
Okay, what are we doing? Yes, no, Cherubim. Crazy, um, intimidating, very powerful, very scary they're, angels. Hello, they were placed outside the Garden of Eden yeah, we to should, keep people we out. We should do a rabbit hole episode talking about angels. I am fascinated with angels. We have a, a million rabbit beings. hole episodes to go in. The Patient. Nephilim, the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so the Ark of the Covenant is built right they're gonna put the 10 commandments inside of the box that is the ark and the mercy seat is the the, lid the lid the pure gold lid where the cherubim are that's where god is going to come down and speak and dwell with the people of israel or i think it's also called it says here the atonement cover yes because that's also where the blood is sprinkled for the day of atonement yes enduring word had a good point it says, it was, if God, it was as if God, looking down from his dwelling place between the cherubim, saw the law and the ark and knew we were guilty of breaking his law, but atoning blood of sacrifice was sprinkled on the mercy seat so that God saw the blood covering the breaking of his law and forgiveness could be offered. It is remarkable that even before God gave Moses the tablets of the Ten Commandments, God made provision for Israel's failure under the law. Again, catering to our humanity for no reason at all other than the fact that he loves us. Like, this isn't even built yet and he's already... He already has provisions. Yeah. Like, they get so many chances. We get so many we chances. We get so many undeserved chances. Anyway. Like. Yep. Um, all right. The next one. Are we done with the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant has been lost. Yes. It's not anywhere to be found. No. There are multiple theories. I think everything from the tabernacle is gone, isn't it? There's been they some don't, re- I don't think they have any definitive evidence of anything. They, I, don't I do. know, though. You do? I do. We'll talk about it. Tell me. We'll talk about it. So moving on to the table for bread. The um, table of shoe bread. Show bread? Did you mean show bread? I said it's S-H-E-W. Okay, mine doesn't say that. Mine says the bread of the presence. There's a lot of different renditions for this. I have found Enduring Word calls it show bread. My Bible calls it the, sh- the bread of the presence. Yours says shoe bread. No, that was one of the sources I was reading. Mine the common says, theme here is bread. Okay. Yeah. It's a table for bread. The bread of the presence. Bread of the presence. Yeah, that's what my Bible says. Bread, bread of the, the presence. So you make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around its hand breadth, wide and molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four legs, four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners of its four legs. Close to the frame, all the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its what? Flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. The bread of the presence. Literally bread of faces this bread was associated with and to be eaten before the face of god says enduring word this says biblenotes.org the bread of the presence or shoe bread was to remain on the table at all times it was always available the picture here is of christ who ever lives to make intercession for us he is the bread of life who satisfies and feeds David ate of this bread in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, and Christ commented on this in Mark. Okay. That's not important. Um, show bread, presence bread. Bread is necessary for survival, and the link was a reminder that fellowship with God mm-hmm. was just as necessary for man. According to Leviticus, showbread was made of fine flour and 12 cakes of showbread, one for each tribe of Israel, set on the table, sprinkled lightly with frankincense. Once a week, the bread was replaced, and normally only priests could eat the old bread. So if the bread wasn't eaten in the presence of God, only the priest could eat the old bread. Yeah. Um, that's all I had about the, the bread table. Yeah. It's kind of like communion in a way. Yeah. I feel. And I think too representative of the fact that God refers to himself the bread with of Jesus. Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Moving on to the golden lamp stand. The golden lamp stand. It looks like a menorah. Yes. Is this where the menorah came from? I don't know the answer to that question. I Do don't you? think it is. I because know. I know what the menorah, I thought there were. I am of Jewish blood, not the Jewish religion. There's not, there's not, there, I think there's eight on a menorah, not seven. Because the oil lasted for eight days for something, if I'm remembering that correctly. 
Yes. There's eight? No, I'm saying yes about the eight days. Yeah. Maybe it was seven days, eight nights. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe it was eight days, seven nights. How many is up there? The word menorah just means candelabrum or lampstand. Oh, hold on. This is saying that it's the same. It might be. But I don't know if that's what it's... In the Bible, the menorah on the... is a seven-point lampstand of pure gold. It is used in the tabernacle set up by Moses in the wilderness and later in the temple of Jerusalem. So, yeah, I think it is. Oh, wait. Um, what is the origin of the menorah? This is from Dartmouth. In Hebrew, the word menorah means lamp. The ancient menorah had seven branches, one for each day of creation, and it burned in the temple in what was then Judea, a small area caught in the middle of conflict between Egyptian Empire and the Greek Assyrian Empire. It was an everlasting light and oil lamp that was never ex- supposed to go out. Um, the Jewish people were told they could not keep the Sabbath, they could not keep kosher, and the temple was desecrated. A small group of people rebelled and they became known as the Maccabees. Over several years, they were able to take back the temple and the and relight the menorah. As the story goes, one day's worth of oil miraculously lasted for eight days. That's why the Hanukkah menorah has nine candles, one for each of the eight days and one to light the rest. The Hanukkah menorah is more accurately called, I can't pronounce that, one additional oil wick or candle is lit each night to celebrate the eight days of Hanukkah. By the way, oil also finds its way into Hanukkah food to this stuff okay so they only use the nine one when it's time for hanukkah yes traditionally they use the seven and this is from got questions it says the original menorah was designed for use in the tabernacle in the wilderness before israel entered the promised land yes after the conquest of canaan it remained in the tabernacle and was later used in the temple solomon built so really the menorah that's used at hanukkah is used to celebrate the eight days that the oil burned after like this the maccabees were able to take back the temple okay so like it's a specific celebration of something yes and it's not what this is no different it's different but it's the same it's we're i I guess they have two different types of menorahs they They have have a nine branched one and a seven branched one for their holiday or whatever and then the seven one for every other day of the year for the temple i guess for the temple for the temple for the tabernacle yes okay Great. I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole. Did we read about it yet? <laughs> what? Do we read about the lampstand yet? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All Here right. we go. You shall make the lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cup, its calyxes, and its flowers shall all be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on the other branch. So far, (laughs) no. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand... That was one sentence. And the lampstand <laughs> <laughs> and the and on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes with their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. So a talent was about 75 pounds of gold. This is a pure gold lampstand made out of a single piece of gold, kind of like the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, that was a lot. That was all. It's a it's a seven pronged menorah, basically. It's a seven pronged lampstand that is very delicate, and it has very there's a lot of intricacies with it because it looks like a blossoming almond tree. Have you ever looked up a blossoming almond tree? Is it pretty? It's beautiful. I, I, I kept when I was reading this, I kept reading about it and reading about it and reading about it. So I had to look it up. It's gorgeous. Show me a picture. Um. <laughs> Yes, I'm <laughs> So the repetition of the almond blossom motif was important because it was the first tree to blossom in the springtime. It reminded everyone of new life and the fresh nature of God's ongoing work. That's from a God, not that's from enduring word. It reminds me of those trees in Japan, like the 
Japanese cherry blossoms? Yeah. No. This is but that's really pretty. This is an almond blossom, Victoria. It's I'm different. just saying, people know what those trees look like and it looks very different. similar. Very pretty. <laughs> very pretty. It's not the same thing. Sure. So the tabernacle represented the court of God's throne. Revelation 4, 5 describes seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Do you know what the seven spirits of God are? I no. I don't either. No, I haven't looked. No, Mm-mm. not even going to pretend. No. Mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of parallels between the tabernacle and what John describes in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Did I look up all of those parallels? No. <laughs> Can I think of some off the top of my head? A few. Did I do research into those? Not no. quite. <laughs> Did I have every intention of doing so? Yes. No, it's only expressed four times in the book of Revelation. Oh my goodness. It's only, But that's like so small. In one book? And in the book of Isaiah, it names each spirit. Oh, the seven churches, which are in Asia. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because there's an angel of each church. Yeah. Okay. Boom. Answer okay. questioned. Question answered. words are hard (laughs) answer questioned it's fine everything is fine it's fine (laughs) this is fine okay so since the tabernacle itself was a completely covered tent a can you imagine how hot it's going to be in there the only source of light was the lamps of the lampstand and again we see that it's being given to Moses in a vision of some yes. sort, whether he's, he's peering into heaven himself or whether God is giving him a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Now to my modern day evidence. Ready? Yeah. Is this what you're talking about? And you told me I had to wait. Yeah. I've been waiting this whole time. So we time. have some modern day evidence of the items that were in the tabernacle. Okay. Okay. We are fortunate and having the Ark of Titus, what a carved that? representation of this table as well as the golden lampstand. So in the Ark of Titus. What is the Ark of Titus? I sent you a picture of it today. It's like a, a picture or a reel. It's a picture. It's a concrete arc. Like it looks like a big square yes, or a big this. rectangle. Yep. Um, and in it. So I have some history about the Ark of Titus is a Roman triumphal arc, which was erected by. I'm not saying this. Diminutin, They're carrying the lampstand. Yeah. In circa 81. B, uh ad at the foot of the palatine hill on the via sarca okay i'm not saying any of that right in the forum romonium rome it commemorates the victories of his father and brother titus in the jewish war in judea 70 to 71 ad when the great city of jerusalem was sacked and the vast riches of its temple plundered that's really interesting they carved it into an ark that you can go look at today there's also some theories that the Ark of the Covenant's in that. It's not. The lampstand and the table of bread is carved into that Very ark. Very clearly. In Titus. The Ark of I Titus. Mean, I don't even have to zoom in and I can immediately see it's that huge. that was the lampstand. I mean, it was huge. It was 75 pounds worth of gold. I love reading about, because I mean, I don't question that anything in the Bible didn't happen. Did I say that right? You don't question. Anything in the Bible. Like, yes. I know it'll happen and it's all... It's true. fact. Real. It's yes. true. Okay. Yes. But I just love to see the archaeological evidence that people find mm-hmm. just because, I don't know, it kind of like... Sticks it to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, Ark of Titus, if you want to go look at it, I think it's in Rome somewhere, maybe. I don't know exactly where it's at. I didn't, look to, I didn't take time to look at it. Yeah. Anyway. So, moving on to chapter 26. The Tabernacle. I'm not going to read through all of this. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. okay we are one (laughs) it is a lot and it's it's a very long chapter and it repeats itself a A ton a ton Mm -hmm. so the tabernacle had a bunch of curtains right i have a great picture yeah and two if you i should have sent it to you let me do it now it has a bunch of curtains are we still doing this? Or do we need to pause? No, I'm just sending it to you because it gives a really good idea of what it looked like from the outside with the curtains that they're oh, talking okay. about. Yeah. 
So, I'm listening. It has a bunch of curtains. So the tabernacle and the way it was built was from the inside out. When the instructions were given to Moses by God, it was from the inside out. The pieces that went inside, the actual inside of the tabernacle, all the way to the outside covering of the tabernacle. And that's how 26 runs. It starts with the inside, the, the yes, curtains and all of that stuff. Yes. And it moves to the outside. Yeah. So the curtains, um, we already talked about what colors they were. They were blue. They mm-hmm. were purple. They were scarlet. scarlet. Um, the mo- linen. Yes. Yeah. The most holy place, which is the 15 by 15 square, basically back half of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant rested, where only the most high priest could go, where the Day of Atonement was done, uh, where God came down on top of the Ark of the Covenant to talk to the people of Israel. The veil that kept that portion of the tabernacle separate was different in that it had cherubim engraved on it. Um, they wove the yes. cherubim yes. into yes. the actual veil. Yes. Um, and then we had all of the lampstand. We had the table. We had um, the bronze altar, which we're going to talk about next episode, mm-hmm. um, within like the holy place of the tabernacle, which is the bigger part. It was 15 feet by 30 feet, I think, by 15 feet high. Um, and that was where the priests could go. Yeah. Where so, like the lampstand was, yeah, where the, the table, table for the, the bread, bread in the ins- bronze altar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the incense the table. The incense table. I don't know. I, don't know. Next I thought episode. it was called a bronze. I don't. Altar. I don't know off the top of my head. Anyway, um, that was like the bigger part of it, and the whole thing was only lit up by the lampstand. That yes. was the whole the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. They had a a veil that formed the entrance to the tabernacle, which was similar to the veil that separated the body of the tabernacle from the most holy place, yes. except it didn't have cherubim on mm-hmm. it. Um, and all of this was kind of put together. It was put together with bronze. It was put together with gold. It was put together with silver. They had giant beams of wood to make the frame of it that was held together by silver clasps. Um, and this thing was 15 feet high. So like it was tall. Yeah, it was no, it was a giant tent. Yes. Um, and it had three coverings over it. I think it had the covering. It did. The outside covering was the fur. Then we had like the leather, which was like the red um, cloth. No, what was it called? Um, Skin. The first covering was made of 10 separate pieces. Yeah, because it had to. It's from four threads. The fine linen, the blue yarn, the purple. Yeah. And the red. Yeah. And then the second one was the goat's hair. Hair. Yep. And then the third was like the badger skin or the the yeah. manatee skin or whatever, which made mm-hmm. it waterproof, basically water resistant. Um, so a there's no ventilation. There's burning candles in it. I can only imagine how hot in the desert it would be to go in there. But at the same time, it does get pretty cold in the at yeah. night in the desert yeah so. and probably when you're in there that's probably the last thing that's on your mind probably because think about how close you are to the presence of god i mean i went in the attics the other day and i almost sweated my face off so i can't <laughs> i can't i don't even like to walk from the driveway into my house in this heat <laughs> right. so like yesterday when we were trying to walk around the hospital looking for the fit testing the first world problems right now back sweat <laughs> all i'm saying back sweat Ugh. Boob sweats the worst. <laughs> but it's dry heat, though. I can do dry heat. Yeah. Like Texas. Think about humid. Texas. It wasn't yeah. terrible. Yeah, you're right. It's the humidity that gets yeah. me. Okay. So, yeah, that's basically the tabernacle. Um, I know we went through it pretty quick, and it's not that much detail. If you want more detail, read the chapter. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> I'm just saying, or like Google pictures of it. Go- yeah, Google pictures of it. My Bible gives a really good picture of yeah. it, and it kind of layers it out and and things. So it's yeah, really and I cool. wanted to say too, put in a plug for RC Sproul. He has this really good. I watched it. I think twice. We're not affiliated. No, this isn't paid. Whatever sponsored, nothing like that. It's just really good. Where he goes into talking about to like some of the details we'll get into further into Exodus in upcoming episodes, but. Um, it's an entire 25 minute episode or me- sermon message, education session, whatever you want to call it on the tabernacle. It's just, it's really interesting. 
Yeah. So we have, like, if you read the chapter, it's really interesting in that they take a bunch of small pieces and make these large functioning items for this tent because they had to be able to take it down. It couldn't have been like this giant 30 foot, 50 foot, whatever piece of cloth. Like they couldn't carry that and it not be a struggle bus, right? Like they were already struggling with the freaking gold and and all the weight of all the items. You can't imagine how heavy the actual framing of the tent would be. Yeah. Along with all of the cloth and everything. So it had to be taken apart. So the chapter is really good about breaking it down into saying, you know, how many pieces went into each of the layers of the tent, how many frames there were, how many beams with those frames and clasps and things that were made. Um, So it's all these small pieces that come together to make this one big, big tent where God comes down and talks to the people of Israel. It's kind of like it's a sanctuary. sanctuary. That's exactly what he said. It's a sanctuary. Sit apart. It's holy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's time for their favorite verse. Is it? Did we get everything? I think so. I didn't have anything. I have. So it's from the study portion in my Bible. It says, and I thought this was really interesting. It says, tabernacle like the garden of eden is where god dwells and various details of the tabernacle suggest it is a mini eden these parallels include the east facing entrance guarded by cherubim the gold the tree of life the lampstand and the tree of knowledge the law thus god dwelling in the tabernacle was a step toward the restoration of paradise which is to be completed in the new heaven and earth interesting i I thought that was really interesting that is very interesting i always thought that the tabernacle and all the things that were in it were just kind of like the throne room of God, which mean, I mean, that makes sense because if Eden was his dwelling place on earth, we covered in the last book. Yeah. Well, he was in the garden with them. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that it would be similar in a travel sized form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's interesting. Never thought about it like that. Interesting. Anyway. Anyway, our favorite verse. Is it time? It's time was exodus chapter 25 verse 8 and let them make me a sanctuary that i may dwell in their midst i just think this is powerful because he wants to come back to his people he wants to come Mm -hmm. down and be with his people yeah and you also have to think about the people of israel at this time they didn't have a holy spirit they didn't have a christ think about how lonely so god coming down and dwelling with his people that was the closest thing that they can get to what we have now yeah. Because God is within us. How, again, we are his dwelling place. Yeah. Just how fortunate we are to live on this side of the cross. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Mm. Anyway, so on the next episode, we will be discussing Exodus chapters 27 through 29, and that will be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in God's Word, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>